welcome back to the Dizzy Breakdown. I'm Maya. And I'm Caro. And we're two American friends on opposite coasts who love to break down and break down over Turkish TV shows. Hi, Maya. Hi. It's been a bit. It has. That seems to be a theme with us. We had such high hopes when we started this podcast with our schedule. And now it's just kind of like, it'll be a surprise to us as well when we record. To us as well. Because I think we decided to record this episode, what, like a week ago? It's just getting our schedules in alignment and then making sure we have enough time to put together what we want to say and pick a show. And It's true. Because there's so many episodes we do want to do, but it's just a matter of when. Absolutely, yeah. We have a long list, I think, of potential disease to discuss it's just a matter of picking it and then doing the terrible research and watching <laughs> some episodes i know it's so hard it's such a chore i know especially this one this one was real tough for me oh yeah i'm sure you are just <laughs> dying having to terrible. do this terrible but yeah i mean life's just been busy some of us have been traipsing around the world Yes, I did my pilgrimage to Turkey in October. You saw the motherland. I saw the motherland. I really did nothing but work all year. And then for the month of October, I was in Turkey and it was pretty incredible. I'm just disappointed you didn't meet Pinar or Khan. I tried. Honestly, I went to the courthouse set. That's the only one I know consistently. They film on weekends. And of course, I went a couple different times. And of course, those were the days that they weren't filming there. And the other weekends, I was in other cities. Well, I mean, it looked beautiful. Like your photos were phenomenal. I felt like I was with you. I'm glad. I know. I was like, there were so many times where I was like, Kara should be here because she's the only one who's going to get how surreal this is. (laughs) I know when you went to like the bench that at one point Ilgaz sat at I was like oh my god she's sitting where Ilgaz's butt was (laughs) yeah I went to the Yarga courthouse I went to that park right by there found Jalen's office I'm trying to think I tried to check off as many dizzy locations it was mostly Yarga right now but no I'm very jealous it seemed like a dream and you got to really immerse yourself in Turkish culture, which I'm impressed that you knew as much Turkish from, I know you do like Duolingo, but watching the Turkish Dizzies, you knew enough to like actually be able to converse with the Turkish people. And I think that's amazing. Yeah, that was another really cool thing. It does really help to know at least a little bit. I had to make a phone call in Turkish to call a cab because I wanted to go to the town where they filmed Adamasala. Oh, right. So I went there and that was really cool. And there's a little sign in the cafe, the main cafe, that Adamasala was filmed here. And that was really cute. You mean you didn't take a ferry? <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, unfortunately, it's not an island. It's all fake. Everything's a lie. Everything's a lie. I made up for it and took a lot of ferries in Istanbul because that's public transit and I can't get over that that's a thing. Mm, It's amazing. But uh, this is not Maya's trip to Turkey podcast. (laughs) Fortunately for all of you. That's coming next. Oh, God. I feel like I bugged you enough that you should be done with it too. Well, I just think it's so unique and so cool. Like, especially because you went at a time where you had watched Turkish TV shows for a couple of years. And like, I just give you props for going. I think it's very awesome. I hope I get to go at some point. If you need a buddy, I will come. I know. Well, we might do Maya and Caro Turkish takeover. I mean, you never know. You never know. You never know what shenanigans we'd get up to. (laughs) I also like that that's what it would take for us to meet when we live in the same country much closer. Meet you in Istanbul. I will be the one stalking Barish (laughs) Arduch. Just kidding. It would be... It would be Chalar. Yeah, it would be Chalar. 
let's be real. Well, I'm glad you had a good trip. While I'm a little sad to be back in the U.S., I am glad that we can now record our podcast again. Yes. So should we get into what we've been watching lately? We should, yes. My list has been pretty small. I've been loving lately Yala Chapina. That's been my... I like hesitate to say this because I don't want you to yell at me, but it's, that's my number one right now. I mean, it's a lot of people's number one. I'm not going to yell at you. It's interesting that it's topping the ratings. It was interesting, too, where you were messaging me like, my, I'm really loving this show. I'm still loving it. I think the ratings are surprising because it kind of reads like a rom-com-ish to me. Like it's a serious rom-com because it's funny. I think the lead actor is very cute and very funny and silly. So while there's a lot of serious undertones and there's probably a little more um, domestic violence in the show than rom-coms. It just, I don't know, I get that romantic vibe from it. It makes me laugh. So for me, it feels a little bit rom-commy. I like the chemistry between the two lead actors. I think they're great. I like the storylines, you know. So for me, Yala Chapkina, currently my number one. I did start it because I'd been seeing a lot on Twitter and such about it. I mean, I might have pressured you. You did a little a bit, but I mean, I was very intrigued. I've watched about seven episodes so far, and there's maybe 11 or 12 out right now. I don't know if it's for me, even though it has so many elements of things that I like. I just don't know if I can get behind any of the characters. I haven't written it off yet. I may keep watching but mm -hmm. I am very intrigued at how popular it is as far as ratings go because it seems to top the charts every single week. Yeah. And what's interesting about that is it slowed a little bit, I think. There was some momentum in terms of like character growth. And now for me, at least the past few episodes have stalled a little bit. Not to say it's not interesting to watch. Every episode is still good and holds my attention. But like I'm kind of waiting for the next big plot to drop, which I'm sure it will. But I'm surprised the ratings have sustained themselves so high, given that for me, like, it's not this action packed. Oh, my God. Do you see that? Yeah, that makes sense. And I would be interested to see because, you know, the main hurdle at the beginning was my grandson needs to be married to save the family name. And now that that's happened, I mean, that happened pretty early on. But like, what is the next plot benchmark? Right. It's not like there's a timeline, like some rom-coms or even dramas are like in six months, in three months, right. over the exactly. summer, or, you know, we'll fake date until XYZ. Right. This one just seems to be them now figuring out how to be married in their own way with all the constraints right. and I'm curious to see how that continues so that might be enough for me to go back and try to keep up I mean I certainly recommend it for me it's a really good show it holds my attention and that's really all I can ask for in a show but beyond that show I want to put it on record here because I have it on record in a previous episode where you called me out for not having started Terpishma I have watched the first episode you I did started. yes that is a thing I did. I'm very proud of you. Thank you. Mainly just because it was my second Dizzy and there's so many actors in it that I know from that. Yeah, there's a lot. Which is funny because you're like, I feel like I know all these people. It's like, yeah, but my experience was the exact opposite. Every show, it's like, oh, that person was in Chaprishma. So funny. Yeah, well, every time we talk about anything, it's like <laughs> six degrees of Kevin Bacon where you relate everything back to Chaprishma. <laughs> We can't start a new Dizzy without <laughs> you being like, well, that person's actually in Carpishma. <laughs> Which is also funny, too, because it's not even like it's in my top five favorite shows. It was just so formative. And I feel like the character relationships and dynamics are worth watching regardless mm -hmm. of the plot. It's a dark plot. I was not expecting it to be quite as dark as it is. 
which honestly made me laugh because you're messaging me about it. And I was like, yeah, I'm obsessed with it. What else did you expect? Something light? I know. That's why I thought you might like Yala Chapkana because it's not a rom-com. Like it does have those serious undertones. And yet still, I was wrong again. Well, it's <laughs> funny too. I don't want to rain on your parade or anything because you're really liking it. And I love it when people are happy about this. Just For some reason, I can't gel with the toxicity of it, which I can't even talk about because I love Sia Bayaz Ash. Oh, yeah. It's very similar. And CBS Ash, I hated it for the first 10 episodes, but I was kind of hate watching it. And it's like my second favorite show. And it's so toxic. It's not feminist approved. Nope. But for some reason, Yalachakana, I can't get on board. And it's hypocritical, I know. Did you binge CBS Ash? Yeah. I think that's the difference. But I binged the first seven episodes of Yala Chopkina too. Because I feel like the violence in Sia Bea Ash is a lot worse than what we're seeing in Yala Chopkina. Yeah, it's not great that the father's throwing his daughters around like ragdolls, but the things Burhat was doing in Sia Bea Ash to Osley, I remember messaging you being like, this is the ship you like? Yeah, see, I feel like I've narrowed it down to what it is. And for me, it's character age. Mm. I feel like I tend to gravitate towards the older dizzy couples versus the teenagers which is so funny because i'm older than you by quite a bit and <laughs> i want go for the younger characters i don't miss being a teenager so i don't either at least i mean cba has asked they're older so farhat being the worst i'm like he's intentionally being the worst whereas ferret and yala chapkana he still reads as young to me like just immature he is i just don't think he's that bad he's not abusive though to I don't know emotionally though he has a girlfriend but they were like an arranged marriage his mom told him oh nothing will change I don't blame him for that he was told this is just on paper nothing in your life has to change that's why I like it because he's starting to like I think he very much actually I would argue like Seiran despite the fact that he doesn't want to he wants to be in love with Halo he wants that life I think it's just that he's smug and that's the trait I hate the most in romantic. Oh, but he's so cute. Yeah, that's the <laughs> thing. I'm letting you have it. I just... Burhat was hot too. You didn't hold that against him. Well, also, Ferret in Yala Chamkana looks like my cousin and it's very disconcerting. Okay, so we've got some bias in there. It's a little biased because it's kind of uncomfortable because he looks weirdly similar to someone I'm related to. So there might be that. Okay. I know I'm hypocritical about it. Just it's not for me, but not enough that I'm going to quit it yet. I'll probably sit down and catch up one day <laughs> soon. All right. Well, that's it for me. Maya, why don't you tell us a little bit about what you've been watching lately? Summer was pretty slow. I think I even remembered telling you, Carol, I miss being able to watch Turkish TV. I'm just so busy. Yeah, you worked a lot. I worked a lot. But the thing is also, I feel like I can say that last year's summer season wasn't great. Yes, I would agree with that. 2021 was excellent. There were so many options. 2022, yeah, there's some that people liked and got really excited about. Mm -hmm. But there wasn't one that was leading the pack. I really thought Sendin Daho Gazelle was going to be my show. Like, I really, See, I love the actors. I liked their chemistry. Like, I really thought that was going to be the show that I was addicted to. Right. It just fell flat for me. Like, it started off good, and I watched all of it. I finished the show. But 
I don't know what these writers are thinking. And I'm not a writer, so I shouldn't judge them too harshly. But I do think I probably could have done a better job moving the plot forward. And if I can just have a moment to stand on a soapbox to say that I get so frustrated because it feels like these Dizzy writers spent all their time and energy trying to keep the main couple apart. And they come up with these stupid storylines to do that instead of just growing the plot organically. Right. And I feel like that's the trap that Sendendajo Gazelle fell into. Yeah, that was the one summer show that I watched. I feel like I watched the first episode of one or two others, but that had so much potential and it was the follow-up to Sunshakapame with the writer and they had solid leads and a great initial setup and I had really high hopes for it. I think I still have three episodes left. I watched almost all of it. It was so disappointing with the potential and all of the tools there. So I didn't really have an eventful dizzy summer. I did watch Kush Uchushu, the Netflix show with Berge Akalai. Oh yeah. And Abraham Jellicle. And that was very highly anticipated. I thought it was pretty good i wrote an article about it for north america 10 yes you did if you haven't read it yet <laughs> go read it and it was so good to see the two of them together in a show yeah i liked it i really enjoyed that so that was something i watched and then very briefly when i was in turkey i was finally able to watch birge's netflix show mezarlik which is just a four-episode miniseries, and she is a police commissioner in charge of a crime division specializing in violence towards women and femicide and all that. And I was really cool that I finally got to see it. It wasn't maybe the most incredible show, but I felt like she did a good job. The story was in the right place. So that was kind of cool. That is cool. And then lastly, my most recent obsession from mm -hmm. like, last week because i binged it <laughs> 20 episodes in a couple days gelson hyatt bilde gibby oh my god like i'd seen little gifts here and there yep. i'd seen the ship name and i don't know what it was about me one day being like yep we're gonna try it i am obsessed it is rocketed really high on my list i did not expect that i had such a great time catching up I was laughing every episode. Not an easy feat. Honestly, girl, I was thinking about it so much. It's just Ashk 101 with crime. Like, I don't know how else to describe it because it's advertised as a crime drama, but it has so many sitcom elements. And then there's kind of the older generation with the teacher. And then there's the high school drama, which to be honest, I skip parts of. <laughs> but it's up there, like an amazing marriage of convenience, amazing angst, like so much chemistry between the leads, even though the romantic moments are less overt. It's just this partnership. And uh, I need support in getting Caro to watch it as well because <laughs> it's so good and it's been making me really excited lately and it's been a while since the show has made me excited. I'm annoyed because your enthusiasm is probably going to get me to watch it. Yes. Despite that I don't want to add another disease <laughs> to my lineup at the moment but perhaps, perhaps. I was seeing things about it on Twitter. Like I was seeing this hashtag sad ghoul and me being the idiot that I am. I was like, are they talking about ghoul being sad on Yargo? <laughs> so it was the name, the ship name that catches my eye on Twitter. And I'm like, who is this old guy in this? Why are people talking about them so much? So of course, when you were like, I'm into the show and the guy's like 20 years older than the lead actress. I'm like, I know exactly which one you're talking about solely based on what I've seen on Twitter. People seem to really like it. The fact that you are obsessed with it, I think, speaks very highly of it. 
it was so unexpected. I don't know, like I needed something light enough, but I just wasn't looking for a rom-com and there's nothing out there that I'm interested in. And I don't know if there's any older ones that I'm feeling like I missed out on and need to catch up on. Oh, I have a long list. Isn't it great though, when you get addicted to a Dizzy? There's just something fantastic about like, oh my God, I need the next episode. I need it. I know. And that hasn't happened in a while. Like I watched other shows and liked them. And, you know, I'm watching Yarga religiously and that's still my number one show and my favorite thing. But just having something new and unexpected was so great. I love Yarga and we'll get into that in a second. But I think the last time it happened for me, honestly, was Ashkmantic Intikum when I was just so obsessed with it. I was like, I can't stop thinking about it. I need the next episode. So I'm a little jealous. And that's also a motivating factor because I'm like, all right, I love the serotonin hit of a good binge where I just need the next episode. So, yeah. We'll see. I make no promises. Audience, you're my witness. And that's There's no promises. fine. But. <laughs> but should we talk about Yarga? We okay. should. I mean, it's still my favorite show. And honestly, I've said this on the podcast. I say this to Carol probably once a week. I would so much rather a show and a story end early and intentionally than just keep getting episodes because it's popular. So many Dizzies have ended terribly because they started out popular and then, you know, the networks wanted to keep them going, but there was no plot left. And with Yarga, I'm quite pleasantly surprised at how well season two is going as far as second seasons go. Obviously, there's a very marked difference between season one and season two, but we have to remember that season one had over two years of prep, like waiting to get on air where Sama could refine the initial at least part of the story and kind of build up all these threads, which made it such an incredible first season. So I'm not expecting season two to be better, but I have really enjoyed how they've been going so far like it it's number two for me you know like it's a good show I look forward to it every week it's not as gripping as it was there are episodes where I'm glued to my seat so I shouldn't say that Mm -hmm. I feel like they have a couple filler episodes where they like ramp up the plot and those are good I mean compared to other disease they're fantastic but by Yarga standards they're just okay Mm -hmm. and then there's some episodes that are just fantastic you're just like oh my god this is like a movie yeah so I like it don't get me wrong I'm just annoyed because I feel like season one had those flash forward six months in the future and a lot has happened and I feel like we're getting real close to that six month mark if not should already be there and yet there's nothing that's tying that back yet so I have to disagree that I kind of like that also because it seems pretty clear that we're not getting a season three that the show is gonna end in May are you gonna be okay Maya I am if the ending is good I would so much rather it end with a solid intentional ending than the networks being like Jalen and Ilga's case a week making out nonsense on and on like that would just cheapen Sema's writing and the depth for me it's gonna end with Ilga's dying he's not gonna die they're faking it they're in Cappadocia there is too much happiness going on Maya I'm not saying like things are gonna get dark again Obviously, Mm -hmm. Jalen's going to find out that Ilgaz is fake dead. Mm -hmm. But honestly, though, one, he's not going to die. I refuse to hear other thoughts on the matter. But I do like that we've had these other arcs not related to the six months later plot. Because if we'd open season two with the six months later plot, we'd have such a narrow scope of what kind of episodes we could have. Whereas she planted this Jalen killed Ilgaz, but she didn't 
thing at the end of season one. And then we've had these other, like there's the serial killer arc. We're going back to the Sardar arc, which is good because we needed a reason for him to still be relevant. Yeah, that is good closure. Yep. So we're having these shorter arcs and none of them feel too long, which has been great. And so we've still got room for the characters to grow and for us to have, you know, there's been a couple fan service scenes, which I don't hate. And we've gotten to have development of, you know, Eren and his daughter and Parson Daria, though I'm still bitter that so much of their relationship <laughs> is off screen. Like, what is this? I know that that's a thorn in your side. I don't know. I just feel like they're dragging it out, bringing up the storyline versus if they had started off with the six month flash forward, they could have been wrapping up Ilgaz's fake death right now and resolving that. Theoretically, they could have done these episodes after they tied that if he's really not dead. I think I'm more nervous that Ilgaz is actually going to die because Sema is holding this for the last part of the series. I don't know. I think... There's no way to top it, though, if he's not dead and then us having four months of episodes of like, <laughs> what do we do? I don't know. I'm staying very optimistic. Nothing's going to top episodes one through 16 of Yarga. No, true, true. Masterclass in storytelling of ships of different plot arcs, of acting. Speaking of acting, Yarga cleaned up at the Pantene Awards. Naturally. You know, it was best show, best director, best writer, best actress, best actor. So deserved. So deserved. They're fantastic. I mean, I can't picture anyone else except Pinar and Khan being Ilgaz and Jalen. Sometimes I watch the show and I'm like, how is this the same man that is in Tara How is this Amir? Acting. I know, but he's a good actor. He's good. And honestly, I've looked back at our Yarga episode and I feel like it felt too negative of all the things we had to say. And it's like, I need to reiterate, I love this show We so love this much. show. We love it. We, we I mean, Maya loves it more, but we both love it a lot. And I, I do want to reiterate that. You're right, Maya. We're critical because we love it. But I also feel like it was such a flaw-free season. And then at the end, there was just a few things that I was like, wait, what? And I think that permeated our talk about it yeah. because of that. But yes, we love the show. Yeah. I think we could talk about Yarga forever. I could talk about Yarga forever. If you saw our <laughs> Discord chats, it's mainly just me bugging Carol to finish the episode <laughs> so I can send her a 20-minute voice message about my thoughts. No, you send me the 20-minute voice message, and then you just say, if you haven't finished the episode yet, don't listen. And then I'm like, okay, I'll stop. <laughs> I need to also reiterate how very lucky I am to have a friend like Carol who puts up with my hyperfixation that is lasting years at this point. So No, no I great. love it. There's no one else I'd rather talk Yarga with. That makes me very happy. But speaking of talking and mm. all things Dizzy, I feel like now is the time to talk about the show that we are here to talk about. So this episode, we are talking all things Kerlik Ashk. Yay! The English title being Love for Rent. If you don't know Caro, then you don't know that it is her favorite show. But it is, and it felt like now was a good time to really dive into it. Yes. The show aired from June 19th, 2015 to January 20th, 2017 on Star TV. It had two seasons, 69 episodes, 52 episodes season one, which incredible. That's a lot of episodes. That is a lot of episodes. And then 17 episode season two, which is a good season length if you aren't comparing the two. So yeah. it had pretty solid ratings when it was airing. It was 
top one or two shows for the first about 29 episodes, moving into top three. So it did really well season one. Season two, it seemed to taper off a little bit, but it was never in kind of a danger low rating zone, which is pretty great as far as summer disease go. Yeah. I mean, especially given now, like I didn't realize this when I started watching disease, but A, I didn't realize how important the ratings were in Turkey, but B, that summer rom-coms generally trend lower than the regular season shows. So the fact that the ratings were what they were here, like Ash, I think is a testament to its greatness. There you go. The science (laughs) backs it up. And to give you guys a little show summary, just in case anyone hasn't seen the show, but if you haven't seen the show, I implore you to watch (laughs) it. And then come to me and let's talk about it. The show centers around the character Daphne Topal, played by Elchin Sangu. She's a spirited young woman who works as a waitress to support her family. With her parents not in the picture, she lives with her grandmother, brother, and her little sister. However, everything gets turned upside down when her brother is taken by the local mafia for his debt. In order to save him, Daphne has 24 hours to come up with 200,000 Turkish lira, which Maya did the math, and in 2015, that's the equivalent of about 70,000 U.S. dollars. And then in comes Omar Iplikci, played by Barish Arduch, a wealthy and successful shoe designer who owns his own company with his partner, Sinan Karakaya, who is played by Sally Bademchi. While he's financially independent, Omar's aunt and uncle, who raised him, are bankrolled solely by Omar's grandfather, who believes it's time for Omar to settle down and get married. And in true dizzy fashion, he gives a deadline of six months in order for Omar to get married. His grandfather tasks Omar's aunt Nariman and uncle Nechme, his closest living relatives, with this project, threatening to disherit them if they fail. Nariman remembers witnessing an encounter at a restaurant that Daphne works at, where Omar used Daphne in order to escape a bad date. Nariman tracks Daphne down and makes her an offer. Daphne will work as a personal assistant of Omar and, with Nariman's help, convince Omar that she is the perfect future bride for him. Daphne reluctantly accepts, which catapults her into a complicated new life where she must grapple with the guilt of her lie. Because it works, and she ends up falling for Omar just as hard as he falls for her. The show was successful enough to garner a second season, which shifts the focus one year into the future after Daphne's secret is exposed. And the season focuses on both characters trying to move forward without each other, and then how they find their way back into each other's lives. And as usual, I want to give a little background about the main cast. Elchin Sangu plays Daphne Topal. For education, she graduated from the opera department at Marsin University, which I found interesting, hmm. and then landed her first Dizzy role in 2011 in a show called Ole Bir Gecher Zamanki, where she also sang and played piano for her character. And then she worked on various other shows, seeming pretty consistently, so good for her to have steady work in mm-hmm. the entertainment industry. One of the main shows is the acclaimed historical drama Kurt Sayet Ve Shura, which was on Netflix for a while and has one of the other leads from Charpishma in it. So I thought it was interesting that they worked together before that. I'm bummed I missed that on Netflix. It's on my list to watch. I've heard it's really good. I didn't know Elchin was in that. I think she's a secondary character, but still. Mm. And then in 2015, she landed the lead role in Kirlik Ashk, good for her. Kirlik Ashk is her second lead role after a show called Sevdam Albara, but that was canceled after four episodes on ATV. So Kirlik Ashk really is her first big role and the role that she still is the most known for. There were some surveys done in 2016 that had her as the number two most popular Turkish actress. 
not sure who number one was, but that kind of gives you a sense of how popular she was, especially during the time that the show was airing. And then besides her lead in Sharpishma, which went from 2018 to 2019, None of her other shows have really made it as far as Kerlik Ash did. It's really a testament to one, how good the show is, that it lasted so long. But it's been strange not seeing her as much around in Disneyland because she's a great actress. So we'd love to definitely see her in more. I think she's just starting. She's just starting a new show. Yep. Honestly, I'm not that interested in the premise. But for her sake, I hope that it goes for a while. I'm going to wait and see what the ratings look like. I'm usually not one to jump into a new show right off the bat. I like to see how people are reacting to it. So I'm going to keep an open mind. But as of right now, it is not on my list of no. shows to watch. And then our other lead is Barish Arduch, who plays Omar Iblikje. Something that I found interesting was that he was apparently born in Switzerland and lived there until he was eight years old. And then his family came back to Turkey. And after his education, he ended up in Istanbul. He also had his first dizzy role as a supporting character in the 2011 show Kuchu Kana Efende. And there were a couple other shows he did that year. Something that I found interesting was his film debut was in the 2014 film Sada J. Sen, which I don't know if you've watched this, Carol, but it's a popular rom-com, I guess, of the time and was kind of a big movie for Ibrahim Chalikol. Oh, oh, I've seen it. Oh, you've seen it? It's Oh, I've seen it. Choices were made. The plot is interesting. I loved it. Of course you did. <laughs> it's funny because it's one of the few, I think it was like the first Turkish movie I ever watched. I think it was on YouTube or something. It was definitely the first Turkish movie I had seen. And I watched it after I binged and finished Siyabaya Ash, obviously, because <laughs> I was on a big Ebo kick. And I remember the starting credits where, you know, they were showing who's in the movie. And I saw Barish's name. Oh, really? And I was like, oh, my God, Barish is in this. <laughs> It's so funny because I had no recollection. And that's and that makes sense because I'd never heard of him when I watched the movie. But there was some compilation online that I found while I was researching of his scene. And I was like, that is so weird and so random, especially for such a like objectively weird premise for a film. And he has a very tiny role and he's not in it until towards the very mm -hmm. end of the movie. So I spent the whole movie being like, is that is is this is this when he's gonna no? Oh my god. Because to give you some context, Kira Like Ash was the second show I had watched. I wanna say Siabea Ash was not far after that. I think I watched Siabea Ash when I was still watching Kira Like Ash, but it wasn't that far off. So I was having very big feels for both Evo <laughs> and Barish. And to have them in a movie that I didn't expect together, I was like, ah! It was it was a lot of emotions for me. I mean, I had emotions, I just don't know if they were positive ones. <laughs> And he is such a baby in that movie. He has such a baby face, which is maybe why now for his new show, he's just really bearded and tatted. <laughs> boy needed to age somehow. I'm not super personally into facial hair. Obviously, people can do what they want. But he's one of the few people where I'm like, yeah, you need it. Your face needs it. <laughs> <laughs> I'm into his facial hair as Omar. I'm, oh, I'm not into his historical drama. I'm into everything about Omar, but yeah. all right. I digress. <laughs> I could go on for a while about that. Oh, one. we know. Hence this episode. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you for indulging me in my passion project. What are friends for? There you go. Um, Kirlik Oshk was also Barish's first successful leading role and his second ever leading role because his first show also got canceled after four episodes, which feels like an odd coincidence. Mm. 
Since Kirillik Ashk, he's gone on to star in multiple dramas, including Kuzgun, which Kara and I both watched. I really love that show. I liked it. Just I didn't like it quite as much as Maya liked it, which tells you a lot about our personal preferences. Yeah, I mean, shows. no one should be surprised. <laughs> He's also in Netflix's show, The Club, Kuloop, which has been pretty popular. I only watched the first episode of that. It wasn't really something I dove into, but he's in it and is known for that. And then currently he is in the historical drama, Alparslan Buyuk Selchuklu, which is very popular as far as historical dramas go. I think I just have no interest in watching it. It honestly breaks my heart that he's doing this historical drama because I have negative interest in it and I love him and it hurts me everything he's done recently like Kaloop I just he's making it hard for you to support his career I know <laughs> I know but I mean I will always support Omar Ipichi all right so Maya I'm curious about this one tell me how you came to discover Kirillik Ash because honestly knowing you as well as I know you now if I had watched Kirillik Ash I don't think I would have recommended it to you because I just can't see you really liking it it's very light and fluffy. It's the epitome of a rom-com. There is very little drama, never mind dark drama. I think season two is really the only period of time where it gets even remotely serious. So tell me how you came to discover the show. I want to hear about that. Yeah, I think in some ways you are correct, but I don't hate rom-coms. So after mm-hmm. Sun... <laughs> After Essential Kapame, I was really ready to dive back into Daisy's more fully, as I've said in the past. I took a break for a while, and then over the pandemic, Essential Kapame was my third show and I was ready to dive back into Turkish shows more fully. I was looking for kind of a popular show to check off my list. I kind of prefer to watch shows one at a time if they're not airing weekly and I wanted to explore Turkish shows and that entertainment world and what had been popular in the past. So I was looking around and it was the winter of 2021 and I work in entertainment which is more freelance and a little more seasonal so I had some downtime from work and I was just needing something honestly light and cute and romantic that I could immerse myself in and I chose Kirlik Ashk and ended up binging it in nine days because I needed something to kind of counteract the winter blues. Would not recommend. That seems like a warning <laughs> sign right there. But yeah, it's a little bit of a red flag given that it's <laughs> 69 episodes. So you either didn't sleep or did a little bit of fast forwarding to get there. I mean, I did a lot of fast forwarding, let's be honest, but still, Mm -hmm. yeah. And I think the timing was pretty critical to my finishing the show because I don't know if I would have, I think the stars just aligned. I did like a lot of it as far as the Daphne and Omar relationship. It wasn't a chore to watch. It was immersive in its own way. Is it my favorite show ever? No. But it was there when I needed it to be, and I'm glad I've seen it, and I understand the cultural significance of it and Disneyland and all of that. And for me, when I watch shows, I try not to research the actors or anything until I finish it because I don't want to be spoiled. Of course, you're going to type in someone's name, and it'll be like, character death, and I don't want to see that. So I waited until the end and then I was going through like reading up about the actors and I'd seen Elchin from Charpishma and then I was going through the Tumblr tag and that's how I ended up finding Caro because she had watched it and was reblogging it and posted about it and I ended up messaging her about some other show that she reblogged after we'd followed each other for a bit but then you know the rest is history so I can't fault it for us meeting. 
I had a lot of care, like Ash feels that I needed to express. You did. And I'm glad <laughs> you did. But how about you? How did you get into the show? Um, so as I've said before, Senchal Kapemi was my first Dizzy. And when I found out one of my old friends and former classmates watched Turkish Dizzies, because I had followed a bunch of Senchal Kapemi actors and like their show on Instagram. And I saw that this friend also followed them. And I was like, she watches this show. So when we started chatting, she was like, oh, my God, I've been watching Turkish Dizzies for years. And I was like, oh, this is my first one. This is the only thing I'm watching. Almost immediately, she said, you have to watch this show, Rent a Love. Like she gave it the English name. And I was like, I mean, I'm not really interested in other shows. This is enough. I'm very happy with Sen Chalkapeme. Because I think at that point, I was flabbergasted that every episode was over two hours. I think I was on episode two and they had already aired like 13 episodes or something like that. So I had a lot to binge and it felt very big and not only overwhelming but I felt like I had a lot of show to watch so I was like oh, I'm not really interested in it but she kept pushing she kept saying like no you've got to watch the show so I finally did and if you look at any message board or Facebook or any group discussion where people are asking like hey I'm looking for a show to watch almost always you'll see someone recommending Kira like Ash so once I was all caught up on San Chalcapeme, waiting week to week for episodes, my thirst for Turkish Dizzies led me to Kira like Ash I was like all right let's see if this recommendation pans out and it only took a few episodes before I was hooked. It also, I should note that I was watching Kira Like Ash on a platform where I didn't know that fast forwarding was an option. So unlike Maya, I did not fast forward hardly any of Kira Like Ash for a long time. I literally watched every moment of it. I think that almost helped me because I got to immerse myself completely in every storyline instead of anticipating when it's going to be a B storyline or a side character or something silly. And I'm like, oh, let me just skip ahead 20, 30 seconds. So yeah, that's how the obsession started. And the fact that there were so many episodes that were over two hours long, I just, I became that person that watched Dizzy's every free chance I got. I was watching it late into the night. I was literally that person that was saying to herself, just one more episode up until three in the morning. Like, oh my God, I have to sleep, but I really want to just keep watching this show. It was that kind of a binge. And here we are. And here we are. So let's talk a little bit, Maya, about what the show does well. Because I would say that arguably it's one of the most popular rom-com dizzies of all time. I mean, in some ways, because it's pre-Senchal Kapeme, it almost set the standard. It's up there. And I think why that is boils down to the chemistry between Barish and Elchin. I mean, you can have whatever storylines you want, but if the chemistry is not there between the characters, you've got nothing. And oh, dear God, does Barish and Elchin have it in spades? Like, oh, when you watch the show and they just look at each other, it's good stuff. You can bottle it. You should bottle it. Good. <laughs> It remains PG mostly, but it still delivers actual romantic scenes. Daphne and Omar, they do have some more mature moments that aren't gatekept by marriage, which I didn't realize was that unique when I watched it. Again, that's my naivete because it was my second Dizzy. And my first Dizzy was Senchal Kapemi, <laughs> which also didn't shy away from it. And I realize now that that is rare because even just touching doesn't happen for like 10 episodes usually <laughs> in regular Dizzies. You know, they had their first kiss in episode one, which is typical. But then the real kiss happens in episode 13, which isn't that bad for shippers to wait. Like that's doing pretty good based on some of the other shows I've watched painfully where we're still waiting. 
And honestly, like most Dizzies in general and rom-coms, the characters still have so much interaction every episode. Mm. So even though you have to technically wait 13 episodes, you feel the relationship there. It's not like you haven't had anything. It just almost feels more earned when you eventually get to that point because of all the tension and all the little moments and you can tell that they want to be together. That all culminates and... I don't know. It's just something that Dizzy's often do really well. There's really good buildup between the characters. That's also nice. They have a lot of screen time together, mm-hmm. which many Dizzy's, especially rom-coms, they do their best to really keep the characters completely apart the whole episode. And in my opinion, that's just not great writing. It's cheap writing because it's an easy way to avoid building the romance. And I don't know why these writers want to stop building the romance. Like that's the whole point. But I digress. I mean, I have thoughts on that. And I think part of it is that there isn't really a roadmap anymore of how to have a great rom-com relationship after they're together. I feel like there aren't enough examples of characters being together and having a great romantic storyline. And so writers go in and are like, well, we have to break them up so we can have angst again. Right. I think it was in Ash Romantic Intium where I think it was the writers that said, well, if they're together, then that's the end of the show. And I think Kira like Ash proves that theory wrong. Because they're together a lot of the show. And it still was interesting. And every episode ended on a cliffhanger. And you're always wondering, like, what's going to happen next? When the shoe is going to drop? These writers kept it interesting. And there were two characters that we knew wanted to be together. Mm-hmm. We knew the secret that was keeping them apart. Mm-hmm. It wasn't like they were waiting to find out how they felt. They kind of knew what they felt pretty early on. And that was engaging enough. It wasn't if they were going to get together. It was when and how. Right. And then how is the secret going to play into it? And those writers really dug into that. They did. And what they did really well, too, was they varied up the drama. Like sometimes there would be work drama and sometimes there would be family drama. And then sometimes there would be relationships drama and then there'd be more work drama that's a nice variety to keep the characters together engaged with each other but still have obstacles that can make it not smooth sailing and obstacles that they have to get over to move the plot forward i think it's very lazy to say well they can't be together because if they're together the show's over no that's not the point of a show Mm -mm. i digress but what I find interesting is that there is a sex scene in Kira Like Ash, which is rare, I think, for Turkish Dizzies. And if you look on YouTube, there's a longer, quote unquote, steamier version that has 220 million views on YouTube. And I'm giggling because Maya wrote a comment while we were drafting an outline for the show that said, and 100 million of that was Kara watching it. Am I wrong, though? I mean, no. <laughs> I'm an American. We like our sex scenes. I'm, you know. And it just also speaks to the characters. Obviously, every show has shippers in some capacity. But the fact that the chemistry was so intense, Mm -hmm. even platonically and in day-to-day scenes, that when it finally culminated to the sex scene 40 episodes in, people wanted to see it. It was like a logical culmination of their relationship and kept people excited about the show. It's true. And I just didn't realize at the time how rare sex scenes were in any Turkish Disney, never mind a rom-com. Because they get fined. They get fined. So the actors were so popular that Elchin and Barish actually did a movie together right after called Mutaluk Zamani, which translates to Time of Happiness, which I obviously rented I think there was a free version that I found, but it didn't look good. Like the dimensions were kind of off. The quality wasn't as great and I needed perfection when I watched it. So I rented it on Amazon and it was fantastic. I loved every minute of it. 
I also rented this movie. I did pay money for it. Oh my god. And I didn't like it that much. Yeah, that doesn't surprise me. I just, no, not that I didn't like it. I just don't think structurally as a film it's very well made. If you're in it for just the cuteness and bearish and Elgin together, fine. That's it. Have That's all it. I'm in it for. I don't think it's a, like, even as far as rom-coms go, it's very much people capitalizing on bearish and Elgin's popularity. Knowing what I know now about the actors and how it seems like they're trying to break away from their rom-com stereotypes, I'm shocked they did it. I feel like someone had to, like, blackmail Barish into it. Who knows? It felt like a decent, not necessarily career move, but they'd already built so much momentum. People would want to see them in a new thing if they were able to turn that out, get it done. It makes sense why they did it. But I don't think that that movie would have been made in a vacuum outside of oh, agreed. Cure Like Ash popularity. It was clearly written for the two of them. It's Hallmark quality at best. And I mean that seriously. It's not a great movie, but I loved it. I mean, it's not something I'm watching like every week or ever again, but it was so cute to watch as a way to kind of come down from my Cure Like Ash high because I didn't watch it until I had finished the series. I mean, if any of you have seen it, let us know what you think. And if you agree with Maya, then don't let me know what you think. But (laughs) no, I'm kidding. One last thing that I think is important to point out as well. And we've talked about this a little bit, but it has a lot of intriguing smaller arcs and episode conflicts as you go. And for a show that ran as long as it did, especially with 52 episode first season, they needed other things to distract from the big secret Mm -hmm. of the show, that plot. Because if they just kind of focused wholly on that as we went, I don't think the show would have made it as far. It would not have been as engaging. And I don't think it would have the legacy that it did as just a good rom-com. Because it's able to find all of these one episode plots or three, four or five episode plots in it all while still under the same restrictions of the overall. Daphne has a secret. She can't tell Omar about it because they love each other and she doesn't want to lose him over and over again. No, I agree. And I think that speaks to the supporting cast. There's really very few characters that I don't enjoy. Nariman is probably one of the only characters that I don't really enjoy. (laughs) Um, And I would fast forward through most of her scenes. And it's not perfect, but I think it does better than other rom-coms in terms of having those small separate side plots and episode conflicts that were more engaging than some more modern rom-coms do. So I agree. And now to change gears and talk about what the show doesn't do well. Yes, I'm going to defer to Maya on this one because A, I don't have a lot to say. (laughs) And B, (laughs) Maya has a lot to say on this. I mean, every show has its downsides, and I'm happy to dive into (laughs) what those were for this show. In my experience, and I think Kara would probably agree, this show is definitely better as a binge. I do agree with that. Wholeheartedly agree. I know that if I had been watching it week to week, I would not have finished it. There were definitely lots of filler episodes with the shorter plots. And I think half of the reason I was watching so much at once trying to get through it was I wanted to know when Omar would find out the secret. And, you know, it takes a while. (laughs) And binging the show, I think, is a helpful cushion to get you there. I fully agree with you. I think that if I had watched week to week, the frustrating ways that they keep the secret drawn out is impressive as a binge and frustrating if you're watching it week to week. So I'm very grateful for the Turkish viewers that watched week to week and kept the ratings up. (laughs) I salute you. Definitely. And then there would have been trailers and things spoiling the little bits that we had. It would have been too much. Mm. The other thing that feels important to mention (laughs) 
this is not an overall thing. I understand what the show was trying to do, like show that Daphne's transformation from this girl from the neighborhood to this corporate assistant thing that Naraman did her little makeover. It's a pretty woman makeover. The crimped hair though? Why? <laughs> it's not only the crimped hair, but how did they get it so poofy? It had to have been a wig. Like, oh dear God. How much time did they make her sit in the hair and makeup chair to get this horrible lion's mane just to be like, she's not a refined girl. Like, we get it. The fashion was already very 2015. The hair was just too much. And yes, we put this in the objective what the show doesn't do well category. Objectively what the show doesn't do well. <laughs> but also it's like she goes to bed with straight ironed hair and she wakes up and it's perfectly crimped. Any woman knows that when you go to bed and you wake up the next morning, your hair's not crimped. It looks like a bird's nest. <laughs> I don't understand how sleeping gave Daphne the volume. And it was also not consistent. <laughs> They would drive it home for like specific episodes when the difference between Omar and Daphne's backgrounds and financial situations was apparent. Mm -hmm. I also think in the episode where they have sex, she has the crimped hair. And I think it's to like really hammer home that Omar is sleeping with Daphne and not the assistant, the sleek assistant yes. that Nariman has Which created. like, fine. Symbolism. Great. <laughs> the but crimped so hair weird. though, <laughs> so bad. I just think they should never have done the crimped hair. She could have just not been in a bodycon dress for that sex scene. She could have just been in normal person clothes. That would have been enough. Yeah, like put her in a ponytail every time she's on the street. So yeah, agreed. Objectively, a bad choice. And then we've talked about this already. It's not a deep show. And that's not necessarily a negative. I don't think it's a negative, but it's not for everyone. It is a very surface level show. And then this last thing that I want to talk about, because it was something that I was thinking about as I was watching the show. I really didn't know how to put it into words, but I watched this show post Me Too movement. This show was filmed 2015 to early 2017, so pre that. And the fact that the main business associated with the show is a shoe brand, fine. But there are some shots and some moments where I was like, we're going a little too close up and intense <laughs> on the feet. <laughs> I mean, everyone's entitled to whatever they're into. But there were some times where I was like, this is getting dangerously close to like unintentional foot fetish territory. But the funny part is, though, Maya, is that Omar has a foot fetish with Daphne. It's not talked about on the show, but you know what I'm talking about, where there's certain scenes where he sees her in his design shoes and literally he can't think and like he stops everything he's doing. And even I, who am a huge fan of the show, I'm like, it's a little creepy. It's a little much. Honestly, <laughs> I will say for me, I just felt like he was a little self-involved and like, wow, look how great my designs look on her. <laughs> But even still, like, it has to be said, I think part of it is the time it was filmed, but it was mildly you act uncomfortable. Like it was filmed in the early 1900s. Shush. Literally, like, six years ago. But there have been cultural movements <laughs> since then. They have iPhones in the show. It's not that old. There's been a lot of iPhones since then, though, Carol. <laughs> but to transition into what I believe Carol's favorite section of this episode is going to be is the what we like section. And I posted on Instagram a little blackout screenshot of our outline where you see <laughs> how much Caro has written out to say and then my little bullet points. So enjoy. Caro, why don't you lead us in to what you liked about this show? Well, everyone have a seat, buckle <laughs> in, get a drink, and here we go. Now, I'm going to keep this relatively brief. Section one. No, um, 
honestly, one of the things that I think makes a good Dizzy is good music. And I felt that way about Senchal Kateme. And I feel this way about Kirillik Ash, where they have certain songs that they do play over and over and over and over again. But they're iconic. When I hear them, it takes me back to the show. I have the Kirillik Ash theme song in my Spotify playlist. <laughs> Every time it comes on, it brings me joy. You know, you've got Ash Glasm, which they play throughout the entire series. And I don't know, I think there's just something about having good music that fits the show and fits the vibe of the show that makes the show better. Like there's a lot of Dizzy's that don't have any music. But Kirillik Ash had notable music. It did. And there's that one song, the slow song, Kim Se Bilmaz. That is definitely in my top Dizzy song. So mm-hmm. I'll give it that. Thank you. Point, Caro. (laughs) (laughs) All right, I'll keep this brief because I've talked about it before, but the chemistry between leads, I just don't think you can diminish the fact that that is the belts and suspenders of why Kirillik Ash is as popular and timeless as it is. It's because that is rare to get chemistry like that between two actors that translate into the characters. I mean, the way Omar looks at Daphne, and if you notice, there's a thing he does throughout the show where she's talking about something and he's just kind of staring at her lovingly. He'll grab the lock of her hair and just touch it. And I melt every single time that happens because I think it's very, very sweet. Okay. One big thing that I love about this show, and I will die on this hill because I think it's so important. There are no stupid side romances that Daphne has with other people or that Omar has with other people. He never dates anyone else. She never dates anyone else. Sure, there's drama and there's the whole secret drama. But Omar always firmly chooses Daphne and Daphne always firmly chooses Omar. Although arguably Daphne has less other romantic options. They did 69 episodes. I shouldn't say that because season two did have another option. But in season one, there is never another romantic option between them. And I honestly think that's a big, big reason as to why I love this show so much. I have to add, there are definitely little jealousy plot lines. Oh, for sure. And I love that. Well, that's a thing too. Is usually I'm not about that. I usually hate that as a trope. Just like people need to calm down. But this show does it so well where it gives enough tension on screen Mm -hmm. for there to be an episode arc or a conflict. But we as the viewers know how Daphne feels about Omar and how Omar feels about Daphne. Mm -hmm. And so the jealousy is then fun to watch instead of us being in the dark like, will he choose the other person? You know, Daphne goes out with Pamir a tiny bit, but it's just for, you know, trying to move on and to meet someone. It's not like, what if I'm falling for someone? Exactly. It's not serious. And I think she really kind of thinks of it more as a friendship flirtation thing. Like I wasn't even sure he really liked her for the longest time because he's kind of a playboy. So for me, I enjoyed that. One of my favorite scenes in season one, which is an episode I just watched, is when the doctor, when Daphne's old childhood crush boyfriend comes to the office and uh, well, because Omar sees that he's been giving her flowers and he gets so mad and calls him to the office to explain to him that he is Daphne's fiance. (laughs) And it's really, except for season two, for season one, it is the only time we really see Omar be jealous and have that compassion competitiveness struck in him it's one of my favorite scenes because his facial expressions are hilarious because he kind of overdoes the like fire in his eyes he looks like a bull (laughs) that's about to pounce and it's comical because he's like so mad and it's so overdone but I enjoyed it it makes me laugh and I love it at the same time yeah so another thing I wanted to talk about Maya are the friendships because I think you and I can both agree that the friendships on the show are done really well so for me my favorite friendships are like Daphne and Nihan 
I love when they get feisty with each other. I love that they're both each other's ride or die. For example, when Stephanie tells Nihan that Secret has thrown down the gauntlet and has openly said she wants Omar, she's like, let's go. Like, let's go get her. Like, we're, I'm ready. And I love that on the show. Like, it's something that is separate from the romance part, but it's a relationship aspect that's just done so well. And I really, really liked it. And then you've got Sanan and Omar. You know, you always have to have a bromance on a show. This is the bromance of Kirillik Ashk. And I think they do it so well with their childhood friends who become business partners, but they're still friends. And I love how Sanan is the like overly dramatic, charismatic one. And Omar's the serious and broody one. And together they make a great pair. And with both of those friendships, it's really interesting because they have their own peaks and valleys and turbulences Mm -hmm. that aren't all tied up in Omar and Daphne's relationship. Like it feels very realistic how, you know, sometimes the friendships clash and people grow. And that's just so realistic Mm -hmm. for how people are. And I think it's great to see that on TV, even with such a light, fluffy show like Kira Lagashk. Mm Mm-hmm. And the show has some good villains, too. I mean, we've got the character of Tramba, who the actor who plays him actually directed a bunch of episodes, which I found fascinating. Oh, I didn't know that. That is interesting. Yep. I mean, he's just a good villain. Like, he's a hateful villain, but you kind of understand where he's coming from because he has the competing shoe business, which is hilarious that there's (laughs) two shoe designers randomly in Istanbul. But I digress. Well, I also thought it was interesting that he dropped in and out as a character. And I know for actor contracts, sometimes you'll just have in a show a villain arc and then you never see them again. Mm-hmm. And I thought it was kind of interesting that he would come back occasionally and stir things up and yeah. it worked really well. I know it did work really well. And then you've got the villain of Secret Gallo, who this might be controversial, but I enjoyed her villain arc. Like she was a villain I enjoyed because objectively she's not a bad person. Sure, her plot line was to foil Daphne and Omar and to come between them. But arguably, she's actually a really nice person. Like she gave Daphne that money to help her get out of the debt that she owed Nariman. But for the fact that she was also in love with Omar, her and Daphne could have been friends. Yeah, I don't even see her as a villain. But yeah, she was such a complex character and I did enjoy her arc. And honestly, one of my favorite scenes actually is when Fikret confesses to Omar. I love how she and Daphne talk about it. She's not sneaking around behind Daphne's back with Omar. She's like straight up. Yep. This is what I want. Mm Mm-hmm. I don't support you lying to him. I have a crush on him. We have this random past. But then you get to the scene where she confesses to Omar her feelings and Daphne is contrivedly on the phone. I thought that scene was really well done because Omar lets her down easy and Daphne gets to hear Omar's conviction. Like she was nervous, but she gave Fikret the platform to say what she needed to say. And Omar was polite and let her down easy, but also was like, it can't be you. It's always going to be Daphne. And shows, I don't think, ever go deep enough for that, or they don't take scenes like that as seriously. And I think that was really important. I agree. And I think other rom-coms with lesser writers would have had Omar entertain a relationship with Secret. And they only entertain it on the show in terms of Daphne's fears. But Omar is always firm in that maybe in another life, if Daphne wasn't around, she would be an option. But with Daphne in his life, there's no question. There's no question. That is rare. Look at Ashmantic Intikum. Ugh, let's not. I know I reference that a lot, but I think that's where that show went horribly wrong, where it's like, no, if you have characters that love one another, find other obstacles like Kira like Ash did. They did it right. And the show was better for it. Mm-hmm, totally. And then one last thing I want to mention, mostly because I know you hate it so much. <laughs> um, Feeling the love here. But this is a Corey appreciation 
moment where I, unlike Maya, love Karay. I'm not saying I didn't fast forward some of his scenes. Sure, I did. Especially like when him and Nariman would skip down a street for like 20 minutes in an episode. But honestly, he's hysterical. And maybe it's the translation and how I'm reading it. But he's so insulting and he's so mean and he's so self-important. He's hysterical. Just the way he's like, you're ugly. And then people will be like, Karay, that's mean. Shut up. And he'll be like, Ooh. that cracks me up. And like Karay and Daria have some of the best banter on the show. I stand by it. I stand by it. I mean, good for you. <laughs> and that's all she has to say that's about that. That's all I that. have to say about that. My list of likes is quite small compared to Caro's, <laughs> but there were definitely things I like, and I think there are definitely things worth discussing. I had more, I just want to say, but for the purposes of this podcast, I don't want Maya to grow old editing it, so <laughs> I narrowed it down. Continue, Maya, sorry. <laughs> Oftentimes in rom-coms, there is some plot element that's centered around business. Either the lead man, unfortunately, it's usually pretty patriarchal, has like a business, there's a company, there's some kind of iconic business as part of a plot. And Kira Gash does something that is actually rather rare for Dizzy's, especially rom-coms, is that the company has a definitive business model. I know this is a very random thing to talk about. No. But it's a shoe business. And there's always plot-related events tied to the business that call back to previous moments. There's some shows where they'll just be like, oh yeah, I'm going to the company. And then if there's ever a scene at the company, it'll just weirdly reflect whatever needs to happen in the episode outside the company. And oftentimes it's wasted opportunity for story outside of a main relationship. This show really goes into Passiones and how it runs as a business and how it affects the characters and the relationships and when they have to go on business trips and when new characters have to come in as consultants, etc, etc. And mm -hmm. I didn't realize when I watched it how rare that was, but mm -hmm. I think it's really worth talking about. And even, you know, as you get later in season one, when you have new businesses come up, or even in season two, where they have new offices and new iterations, it's still very cohesive, mm -hmm. which I find very impressive. I'm thinking of Dolene as the yes, opposite to Yes, exactly. That is my main example. Yep. I have absolutely no idea what Janya Man's character in Dolene does. Well, that's the it. thing. I don't think the writers even care. He's like, I'm going to the company. <laughs> and then there's this whole plot of like the brother-in-law wanting the company. And sometimes they'll be like in a meeting. <laughs> I think I even tweeted or messaged you like, does anyone actually work at this company? <laughs> they'd only go and then they'd talk about their love lives. But I think you're like Ash. Something it does well is they're giving more dimension to the characters outside of the main relationship and friendship plots, which is nice. Exactly. Related to that is I love that Daphne gets to be a career woman with goals eventually. Of course, she starts as the assistant, which is a very common rom-com trope, boss and assistant. But once she gets into the role and gets a little more financially independent and becomes comfortable in that world, she has other goals and aspirations. And at first she wants to be a designer and she gets supported to try to do that. In season two, she switches over and she's kind of works in the logistics department. Mm -hmm. That was really interesting to me. And I really enjoyed seeing that instead of just dragging on her being a ditzy assistant just to mm -hmm. be in Omar's orbit for plot reasons. The ditzy assistant role belongs to Daria and Daria alone. And she's great. She's great She's at like it. a dimensional character too. She's comedic relief. He adds humor to the episode. And it's also funny to see because Omar can't stand her. <laughs> and it's hysterical to watch his grumpiness contrasted with her oblivious ditziness. It's great. Yeah. <laughs> 
And then my final big thing that I really liked about this show is Daphne and Izo's friendship. Oh, yeah. That's a good one. It's... I don't think I've ever seen a show with a platonic friendship that is so important to both of the characters and is never given a will-they-won't-they element by the writers at some point. It's not even remotely hinted at. It's not even remotely hinted at that there could be anything more. Izo has his own romantic dramas, Mm -hmm. but he's such a steady, grounding presence in Daphne's life. He's a good friend. (laughs) He's a good friend, and he's part of her life in other ways. Mm -hmm. Lesser writers would have like, oh, she has Nihon, it's fine. She has her one girlfriend outside of the Omar plot world. But she also has Izo, and he's... He's honestly her pillar of strength. Because Nihan's her crazy sidekick who's always down for literally whatever and she's a spitfire. But Iso, he's just this strong character for Daphne that she can always lean on and always go to for advice. And I do like that in season two, they have a big falling out because he so wholeheartedly disagrees with her getting back together with Omar. Because he cares about her and he saw what it did to her. And yes, he's reasonable, not even to a fault. He's just so objective and solid. And you kind of, as a viewer, you're like, oh my God, Iso, you're being so hard. But then when he explains and he tells Omar why and how she was after he left her, This is why I love season two. It's such a good moment. And I love Iso a lot. He's definitely worth talking about. I feel like there could be a whole episode breaking down. There could. (laughs) How rare of a character that was. Mm -hmm. And I hope that people don't gloss over that when they watch it. I was actually really upset at Nihan in the first season when she chose Surtur over him. because Honestly, because like, why? (laughs) (laughs) Like, what did you see in Surtur? But then it works out because their whole friendship dynamic is adorable. I do also love that Surtur gets kidnapped by the mob and then is never mentioned again that he's gambling or working with the mafia. Like, it's just totally a one-off. Yeah, and then doesn't he get a random aesthetic makeover at some point? I feel like there's one episode he shows up and he looks totally different. They're like, this is Sardar now. Yeah, I think (laughs) he, like, changes his look to, like, impress Nihan, I think. Oh, yeah. Again, these are all little bits of other storylines that are unrelated to the main relationship that just make the show more dynamic and better. Mm -hmm. Rom-com writers, take note. Take note. Now we get to get into the flip side of things, what we didn't like. I'm going to jump in to, I think, the biggest thing that Mm. we didn't like. I may have disliked it more than Kara, but she can correct me if I'm wrong. Daphne's secret is drawn out way too long. 52 episodes, a whole Mm -hmm. season is insane. And again, I think that's half the reason I kept watching because I was like, okay, maybe she's going to tell him now. Maybe she's going to tell him now. She's got to tell him now. I could not believe that it took getting to the season finale, them walking down the aisle of a wedding that keeps getting put off and change in their relationship. That was when she told him. I mean, I'm glad that they didn't get married and then she tell him. I just think it was so long. I actually wholeheartedly agree with you on this. I don't mind that it was drawn out for 52 episodes because I think they did it well. But my main issue is that it happened at their wedding. Daphne tells Omar as they are walking down the aisle that she was hired by his aunt to be his perfect woman to get married. And also the six months that this needed to happen or else Nariman and Nejme's house was going to get taken away from them. That just went away. If you notice, no one ever called him out on that. I don't think they got married for quite a while. They were engaged for a really long time on the show. I mean, Daphne met Dede, so he knew that the wheels were turning, right? In that true, regard. True, true. 
But I have a question for you, mm-hmm. and I just in general, do we think the show would have lasted as long as it did, 69 episodes, if the secret had been revealed earlier? Would the seasons have been that long? I think yes, because I loved season two so much and I loved how their relationship changed when Daphne was able to be completely honest with him. Because my issue was that Daphne always acted like an idiot because she was so insecure about the fact that she didn't know for sure if Omar loved her or if he only loved her because of the version her and Nariman had created for herself. And even though she knew her feelings were real, she never trusted that if he found out, he would believe that. So I love the honesty that came about in season two between them. And that's fair. I just don't know if season one would have ended up being 52 episodes because she had so many opportunities where she almost told him and I feel like he would have taken it better. Oh my God, almost every episode. Every episode. (laughs) There was even that one episode where they go to a hotel for someone else's wedding and they have their own secret and Daphne's like, how would you react? And Omar is like kind of blustering. But the reason he's saying absolutely no, I wouldn't take it well is because he's not thinking of Daphne in that scenario. He doesn't think of her that way at all. There were so many opportunities opportunities and yet I think one of the biggest opportunities where I thought it was going to happen because I also like you didn't spoil myself I knew that the secret was coming out later like I knew it didn't come out you know in 10 20 episodes but I didn't know it was as long as 52 and I really thought it was going to come out was when he breaks off the engagement after he finds out that she has been like talking to his day day yeah and then he breaks up with her he goes off I forget where and then she ends up going to her aunt's house maybe She goes off somewhere. Hashtag the village. Yeah, the village. And I really thought I was like, girl, if there was ever a time, let it all be out in the open. Like, you just about lost him now. Just tell him. Like, just do it. And she doesn't. So she does it walking down the aisle where he has no chance to escape. So I disagree with when it happened. But I think the writers probably would have had a harder time but I think they could have done it but we'll never know because they chose episode 52 <laughs> and so it's not an objectively perfect show it's just a perfect show for me for my mindset when I watched this which was very much in the midst of the pandemic when I wasn't seeing a lot of people and I wasn't going out very much for me it was an amazing show to immerse myself in there's still flaws I'll admit that the entire Sude storyline for those that haven't seen the show Sude is Omar's cousin who's just a bad person she's just a mean girl and I don't know why there's no rhyme or reason to why she's a mean girl she's lived a very privileged life her only down on her luck moment is that she loves Sinan and Sinan doesn't really love her back he loves Yasmin more so there's no reason why she needs to sabotage her cousin Omar quite as much as she does I also think there's a lot of unnecessary storylines that they would sometimes use to fill the two hours. Like at one point, the writers tried to introduce a Kirillic Ash, so to speak, storyline for Sude, where Nariman also hires a man, a boy rather, to like date Sude and Sude realizes what's going on immediately. And they spend way too much time on that. A, there's no chemistry between Sude and that character. He has a weird look to him. I don't know what they were going for other than to fill space, but for me, it didn't work. And beyond that, as much as I enjoy Kare, some of his scenes with Nariman are really nonsensical and they're just pure fluff of them just being either mean or catty or plotting. It's usually done over some music that plays while they're scheming. Those are the scenes that I would certainly fast forward through because ain't nobody got time for that. I have to agree with that. And the main downside, honestly, for me with this show was how silly these parts were. Kare... You liked him in times. I didn't 
really at all. And it's not like I hated him. I know. I know. But he just didn't interest me. His kind of over-the-top melodrama was just too much. Drama! (laughs) (laughs) That's not the kind of drama I enjoyed. I mean, I loved when he actually had plot moments as like a photographer and that way. But him and Naraman, all of their hijinks, so much fast-forwarding on my end, which is why I could watch 10 episodes in a day. Mm -hmm. Because, you know, I'm shrinking them down to 40-minute episodes at best. Right. This is why I love Barrick so much as Omar, because the look of disdain on Omar's face every single time Corey was in the room. And yet they're like weirdly friends, though, in some points. They are weirdly friends because I was going to say there's that scene where I think Omar and Daphne are at a conference or they're meeting with business partners, but they're kind of like elsewhere and they're about to have a romantic moment and Sanan calls. He's like driving Corey to the hospital and they both leave and they go see Corey. So there's a level of love between Corey and Omar, but Omar really is just mostly annoyed. For me, that works. That dynamic works. That's fine. And it is entertaining because they'd never be friends in real life if it wasn't Mm. like a written story. But yeah, for Mm. me, that was, I think, one of the biggest downsides. And then this last thing. (laughs) Okay, season two, I agree. It's a lot more serious and it kind of adds a maturity to Daphne and Omar's relationship as they navigate getting back together with all the cards out on the table. Mm -hmm. There's no secret between them, but they've gone through a lot and they can't just pretend they haven't. But I could tell that the writers were having a hard time trying to live up to, you know, a 52 episode first season of ongoing plot because there's that one arc of like Omar's PTSD over this leprechaun trinket. Mm -hmm. And he's having like bad dreams and flashbacks and he can't sleep. That is truly one of the stupidest ideas for a plot. I have ever heard. I completely agree. What is that? It comes out of nowhere. And that's the thing. It doesn't even happen until after the Pamir storyline is mainly settled. And it comes out of nowhere. No, they totally make it up. Yeah. They're like, oh, yes, this thing I've been struggling with. It's like, you made this up five seconds ago. Calm down. And he also won't tell Daphne why. And then it gets revealed. And it's like, he's basically was in a car accident. Why wouldn't you just tell Daphne that? And also, there is some elements of was he with another woman? Also, a leprechaun. Caro. Mm Mm-hmm. What? I, I know. He was in Italy. It's not even like he, you know. <laughs> the look for the Irish. <laughs> he didn't even like go to Ireland to recover. He went to Italy. Yeah, it couldn't have been like a bowl of rigatoni or something like that. <laughs> like, <laughs> it's so stupid. I fully agree. As much as I love season two, I did forget about that. I probably blocked it out for for like, good survival. reason. Yeah. My God. <laughs> anyway, that's my short list of things I really couldn't deal with. Fair enough. But one thing I want to talk about is the show has had a lasting impact. Like I've said earlier, you look on any message board where people are looking for Turkish Dizzy recommendations, someone's going to recommend Kyrillic Ash because it's lasting. People still love it. I think there's plenty of people, myself included, that still rewatch the show. Oh, totally. And what's interesting is that Elchin and Barish have both had to step away from this rom-com genre that really built them and built their careers. Yeah, that's what seemed rather unfortunate. I mean, even as someone who we both watched the show years after it was completed and still the fan base of Daphne and Omar, as well as for Elchin and Barish separately, 
is intense. Mm-hmm. It's alive and well. And while I don't want to dive into speculation and rumors about their private lives and what went down, and partially it is like we weren't around when the show was airing. No. We have so little access to any sort of objective information. Right. But it's interesting and a little sad that they don't do rom-coms anymore. Barish has not done a rom-com since. Kuzgun is not a rom-com, even though it has a <laughs> it heart- is not a rom-com. It has like a heart-wrenching love story, and I love it, but they both clearly had to distance themselves, and I'm not sure how much of a choice that was on either side. I'm sure Barish was happy to step away. Yeah. Someone else said this before me, but it stuck with me. I think it was somewhere on Twitter just talking about these male actors that get their starts and careers built off of rom-coms, but then do everything they can to leave them Mm -hmm. and, you know, get to star in these action shows, historical dramas, all these gritty things. And it's a little sad that the fan base that built them and made them successful doesn't really get to have them anymore. But at the same time, from what we both seen of these two actors is I don't know if they'll be able to come back for a while still. No, it's true. And it's a shame. But I'm grateful that Kirillic Ash was made despite the detriment that their choice of shows following the show had. For me, it's the best rom-com I've seen yet in Turkish Dizzies. I haven't obviously seen all of them, but from the ones I have seen, this remains my favorite. But the show is so popular, even today, you know, maybe it's for the best, as it'd be tough to live up to such popularity and rom-com notoriety that is Kirillic Ashk. And I think that's very fair. They've created an amazing legacy. And I think that's where we can wrap up for today mm-hmm. on the legacy that it's left on Disneyland and just in general. Kirillic Ashk is a Disney rom-com. And it stood the test of time. Even as story conventions and how rom-com Disney's are written have kind of changed and how it's pretty clear there are some shows where executives are just trying to fit what they think the market needs are. And the fact that Kirillic Ashk lasted as long as it did and it launched multiple careers, it's really impressive and it seems to be getting rarer with rom-coms that are coming out nowadays. And I really hope that more rom-coms in the future and writers can take note of the groundwork that Kirillic Ashk laid on its way to getting their characters to a great happily ever after. And on a final note, I know we mentioned this a little bit earlier, but Kirillic Ashk is the dizzy that brought Maya and us together. And since I started posting about it on Tumblr when I had all of my Daphne and Omar feelings that needed to go somewhere. I was reblogging basically every single Defilm gift set that I could find, and then Maya just started responding. Yes, Kirillic Ash did bring us together, and uh, now we have a podcast, and we talk every day, pretty much. And thus, a dizzy friendship was <laughs> born. So forever grateful to Kirillic Ash for not only bringing Barish into my life, but for also <laughs> bringing Maya as well. Oh, wow, I'm on par with Barish. I feel... Well, I said Barish first, so. <laughs> I, I mean, that's fair. <laughs> I didn't expect that much. Okay, as long as you know. Thank you to our Dizzy friends for sticking around, if you have, to the end of this episode. Yes, thank you for listening. If you have any thoughts or suggestions on the podcast, corrections of anything we've said that was incorrect, or any other messages you want to get to us, you can send an email to dizzybreakdownpod at gmail.com. The show also has Instagram and Twitter handles, which are both at Dizzy Breakdown. And for our personal Twitters, and for anyone else that watches Kirillic Ash, because Maya doesn't really want to talk to me about this show, please... Talk to me at Harrow Gables. 
I will say, we just did an entire podcast on Kirli <laughs> but fine. Mm-hmm. If anyone wants to talk to me and not Caro about dramas and dark things and Yarda specifically, <laughs> you can find me on Twitter at the Scorpio Racer. And you can rate and review us on Apple Podcasts or Spotify or whatever platform you listen on, which helps new listeners find us. So until next time, thanks for listening. <laughs>